0: Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's open up to Psalm 112. Psalm 112. I want to remind you about tonight, service tonight, six o'clock. It's a good time to look back on the year and see how much we've walked in what God set before us this year. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Father, we bless you. We honor you. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can sit at your feet and be taught of your spirit and receive impartations of revelation into our heart. And Father, I just thank you that we continue to conform to the image of Jesus, growing and developing in your divine nature, taking hold of the anointing that comes on the Word, that removes burdens, destroys yokes, and it's the anointing and the revelation that the power of hell cannot stand against. That as long as we take hold of your Word, take hold of your anointing, and take hold of it in life, I thank you, Lord, that there is no devil in hell that can defeat us, that can stop us or stand against us. But we walk on into victory and be the overcomers that you've made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Psalm 112, verse 7. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It says, He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. He'll not fear evil tidings. You know, there's a lot of evil tidings going around. And there's a lot of people that get shaken by it. There's a lot of Christians that are being shaken by it. But it says here that when our heart is steadfast and trusting in the Lord, we'll not fear evil tidings. We'll hear them, but they will roll off us like water on a duck's back. Amen. 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 There'll be no emotional attachment. There'll be no taking it to thought. There'll be no letting it guide us and direct our path and make our decisions for us. We do not fear evil tidings. Our trust is in the Lord. And therefore, we're not on a roller coaster ride, but we are steadfast in our life. Let's look at that in the Passion Translation. Psalm 112, verse 7 in the Passion Translation says, They will not live in fear or dread of what may come, for their hearts are firm, ever secure in their faith. You know, if I hear any more stuff on the news about what might be, well, it could be, well, this might be the way that it goes. You people have no idea what you're talking about, and all you're doing is instilling fear in people because it's making people afraid of what might come. Well, good might come. How about that? Amen. Amen. And it's all the fear mongers because that's all the devil has. That's all the world has to go on is fear. But the Bible says we'll not live in fear and we'll not live in dread about what might come. Dear God, there might be a lion out in the street. Let's not go outside. No, no, we're not in that group, are we? We live secure in our faith. The uh, New Jerusalem Bible says bad bad news holds no fear for him. Firm in his heart, trusting Yahweh. You know, sometimes bad news comes to you. In fact, sometimes bad news is spoken about you. But you know, bottom line is, who gives a rip? Because no matter what you say, I don't care what you're looking at in a diagram. I don't care what you've got laid out. I don't care what you see. It's your opinion. And I know somebody that's got a greater opinion than you. And I know somebody that's looking at more stuff than just your x-ray. I know people, I know somebody that's looking at more stuff than just result of a blood test. I know somebody that's created me from the very beginning and made me to be whole and well in the name of Jesus. And his report is the one I will believe. And the other ones could go stick it in their ear. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, that doesn't mean that when bad news comes to you, you just, oh, no, 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 it's not really there. Yes, it is. So? So what? How many of you, before you got saved, was not saved? Anybody? Oh, look at that. Oh, everybody in the room is putting up their hand. Some of them couldn't figure that one out. They're like, huh? Anyway. You know, we were all not saved before we got saved. We were walking bad news. Our life was filled with bad news and there was nothing around the corner that really looked good. And yet Jesus could turn that around when you gave yourself to him. And you think he can't turn around a blood test? You think he can't turn around an x-ray? You think he can't turn around that report that they want to tell you that brings fear into your life? Amen. Amen. No, we're not going to fear bad news. And the more that we work with the things that the Spirit of God has been talking to us about on Wednesday nights and on Sundays, the more Psalm 112 verse 7 is going to become a reality in our life. The more we will not fear. Amen. And you know, because why do we need to know this? Because there's pressure times ahead in the last days. Pressure times will come. Oh no, there isn't. Well, then God's a liar. Yes, there is. There's pressure times ahead. So the question is, how am I going to live? How will I live in pressure time? How will I think? How will I emotionally react? What kind of choices and decisions will I make? What will be the condition of my soul as I face the future? We can live fear-free, firm and secure in our God, in His Word. Having our thoughts and our emotions stable. Having our thoughts and our emotions on solid ground. Having our thoughts and our emotions unshaken and secure. Amen. Why? Because we want to continue hearing the Spirit of God. And in Him there is no fear. Amen. Now, some people will say, well, you know, there's just good days ahead. Nothing to worry about. Well, consider this. The woman with the issue of blood had good days ahead. But before she could receive her good days, she had to handle the pressures of circumstances. She had to handle the pressures of religious leaders. She had pressures come against her. The moment she stepped out of her house, pressures was all around her. And she had to deal with the pressure before she could get to her good days. And you know what? The good days of her health was only based on what she thought. Some people are like, well, this is what I'm believing. But bam, pressure's come. It's like, well, maybe that wasn't right. Maybe I should go back in the house and sit down until the pressures leave. And that's the choices that sometimes you all make. You go sit down, you go wait, just wait till things pass and things get better, then I will. Well, you're too late, honey. The pressures have done run over you already. What about Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus had good days ahead of him of getting his sight back, but before he could step into that, he had to handle the pressure of the critics. Sit down, be quiet. You little beggar, we don't want to hear from you. You're interrupting what's going on. He had to handle the critics. So how did he handle it? He cried out all the more. Isn't that right? What about Jairus? Jairus goes to Jesus and says, my little daughter, she's at home sick. Could you come heal her? And on the way, he gets a report. She's dead. Pressure. Pressure. Pressure comes before the good. We know that there's good days ahead and we hear it all the time and we declare it. Our best days are ahead of us. But you got to get through the pressure. What will you do to prepare for the pressure? Amen. What if the woman with the issue of blood fell to those pressures? What if Bartimaeus fell to the pressures of his critics? What if Jairus collapsed? in fear, under the pressure of bad news. Why do pressures come? Very simple, to keep you out of the promise. Pressures come to keep you out of the promises. And if you'd realize that, you'd slap that pressure around and walk on past it. Pressures come to keep us out of entering the promises. The woman with the issue of blood meditated on what she had heard. Bartimaeus leaned to the prophecies about the son of David. Nobody else called him the son of David. Bartimaeus did. Jairus trusted Jesus as healer. Isn't that right? And even in the face of death, he chose to believe that Jesus was the answer. None of them fell to the pressures but all of them had to deal with pressure. And it took strength in spirit and in soul. Your soul, your mind, your emotions, and your will. Your mind and your emotions and will. I don't care how strong you are spiritually. I don't care how much you are a new creature in Christ. If your soul is weak, you won't make it. It's your thinking, it's your emotions, and it's your will that needs to be set. Because we have to stand to the finish in dealing with spiritual pressures. In fact, go over to Proverbs 24, verse 10. Your soul condition is important in life. Because you can't touch anything from the spirit realm into this natural realm without the proper soul condition. It's called crossing the bridge. There's a book out there you might be interested in. (laughs) Proverbs 24.10, if you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. Look at the Passion Translation, Proverbs 24.10, in the Passion Translation. If you faint when you're under pressure, you have need of courage. And the issue here is all about the soul. You can't stand under pressure spiritually. I mean, that's not going to help you in life. It starts there. But if it doesn't get into your soul, it'll never affect your life. Strength of soul comes from the strength of the word of God that's in our spirit and by fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. That's where strength of soul comes from. Strength of soul don't come because, bless God, I'm up, I'm awake, and I'm going to get myself up. There's no strength of soul. It comes from on the inside. Isn't that right? Some of the strongest people, you'd never know it. Our weakness often becomes our excuses to quit. That would mean yes. The head nodding up and down would be yes, I agree with that. Our weakness often becomes our excuses to quit. You know, before I got saved... I never had a weakness that would let me quit. You know why? Because I wouldn't face them. I'd sweep them all under the rug and do whatever it took so that I would not have to deal with that weakness. And if you're honest, you'd say the same thing. Because we all have them. We're still trying to get over some of them. Isn't that right? And our weakness often becomes our excuses to quit. But strength and courage comes as a result of faithfulness under pressure. Not sitting in here. It's not faithfulness sitting in here. What you learn in here, you should take out there so you can live under pressure because your faithfulness that's proven under pressure is what builds your strength and your courage. Amen. You may not like to hear that. But You got to build yourself up with the word of God. You have to build yourself up by speaking in other tongues and you can build up your faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. It's all about a face-to-face relationship. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 5, 13 and 14. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 5, 13 and 14. And it's, it's really... You know, as I think about it now, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit has been talking to us about pressures and standing under pressure and all that, especially as you're coming into the Christmas season because most people go into la-la land. And the more you get those Christmas songs in your head, the less you'll have the Word of God. Just saying. I like Christmas songs, especially when they're played by Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I like Christmas songs. (laughs) Okay, but you can't allow that to get in your head all the time. 13 and 14, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to a word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, had their senses trained to discern good and evil. Basic principles of the word, foundations, and we spent a lot of weeks on that on Wednesday night. But those things have to be taken hold of in order for the deeper truths of the word of God to be comprehended. You know, it's like the parable of the sower. Now, we know that Jesus explained the parable, but think about before he explained the parable, he's talking about sowing seed in the ground and stuff grows. And he was talking to an agricultural society. Well, they all knew that. You know, it'd be like, what what the heck is he teaching us about? What does this preacher know about agriculture? We are the agricultural people. We know how to farm. And he's telling us about planting seeds and the birds are going to eat it. Or if it's not in a depth of soil, it's going to burn up. We know this. And if Jesus never told his disciples what that was about, would we have known it? You wouldn't know it unless you meditated on it and got it from the Holy Ghost. Isn't that right? And then when you do get it, we, now, we got it. I mean, we've got it. We understand now the parable of the sower. Jesus explained it. So, how does it relate to your life? And does it relate to your life? Or is it just something you know? I know the parable of the sower. So and so is the word. Birds will eat it if it's not in the ground. Oh, if it's not deep, then it'll get stolen. Oh, there's thorns that'll choke it. I know the parable. But how does it relate to your life? And does it relate to your life? Do you live that in your life? Because if you don't, you're no different than the agricultural society that never even got the revelation. The word is designed to relate to your life. This is why so many people quit on God. Because they don't even know, what does this have to do with my life? this doesn't affect my life. I go to church every week, this doesn't affect my life. I mean, I had a down week, I come to church, oh, I feel good, I feel good. And Tuesday, I'm back down in the dumps again. How does it relate to our life? Are you with me? But verse 14 says, Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained. Because of practice, have their senses trained. So it's by practicing the Word of God in your life, your senses get trained. If you're not doing the Word of God, your senses are never getting trained. Are you with me? And it's likened to the uh, training of an athlete. And his skills are developed through discipline of practice. And the same thing with skill in the Word of God. It's developed through the discipline of practice. The Hebrew believers did not receive spiritual insight because they were not wrestling with spiritual truth. There's a lot of people that they do not wrestle with spiritual truth. Oh, well, that's what I believe and that's it. But your life is being beat to the pulp. Which means what? You don't believe it. You know why? Because you don't wrestle with it. You have an unrenewed mind. You have flesh. You have sin in that flesh. And you've got to wrestle against this stuff. Like an athlete, you have to wrestle. If you're just living out, oh, well, this is wonderful. You are not wrestling and you're not advancing. You're not disciplined. You know, I love you, right? That was God that just told you that. He loves you. He wants you to get a hold of this. Amen. Wrestling with spiritual truths. Well, I believe I'm a new creature. I mean, that's a spiritual truth. Well, how about this one? You feel like crap, and the Bible says, by His stripes you're healed. How about that one? You wrestle with that one? Do you wrestle with it? No, not always. You know how you know that? Because you don't make decisions based on it. You make decisions on how you feel. You're not wrestling. Therefore, you're not de- disciplined, you're not growing, you're not developing. Oh, you know, in your head, but it's not affecting decisions in your life. You're going along with that. Well, this is the way I feel, so that's all I can do. You're not wrestling. You're not training. You're not being developed. You're not disciplined. You're not even disciplined to go to the gym and practice, let alone work it in your life. Don't shout me down. <laughs> Say it with me. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Since they were not wrestling with spiritual truths, They were not able to separate good from evil. Separating good, well, I know murder is evil and being kind is good. We're not talking about that. We're talking about your decisions that you have to make. You feel like trash, but the Bible says, now what are you going to do? You do what you believe or what you've been wrestling with. And if you haven't been wrestling, you will always go the way of the flesh. Always. You'll let the flesh tell you. And as long as you let the flesh tell you, you'll stay living in bondage. But yet, if you walk in the truth, it'll make you free. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. A boxer. He goes to the gym to practice. That does not make him a champ. He'll do practice, He'll have smaller engagement fights that are set up for him to fight. And he might have wins and he might have losses. But what is he doing in all of this? He's learning to grow into being a champ. Just because you practice doesn't make you a champion. Just because you have little engagements that you have to deal with doesn't make you a champion. Those are all there to practice. You know why? Because the big stuff's coming. And what have you been practicing to get ready for the big stuff? As we grow in basics, understanding and receiving truth and start to hear the word of righteousness, it will now demand actions of obedience to do as you've learned. Amen. It always demands it. It's getting into the boxing ring. When you take hold of faith, you have stepped into the ring. And you know what? In every boxing ring, nobody boxes by themselves. There is always an opponent. I don't care how small the fight is. I don't care about the practice. Doesn't matter. There's always an opponent. Isn't that right? And what is your opponent? your flesh, our unrestored soul, the world system, our uncontrollable emotions, a will that's not strong in obeying God. Those are all opponents. A will that wants to do things my own way rather than God's way. A will that says I want what I want And I'll just put God's stuff on the side till I get done. Those are all opponents. This is where the training starts. This is where the wrestling begins with your own flesh, with your unrestored soul, with your thoughts that are not in agreement with God, with your emotions that are are out of control. With a will that is not strong to do the things of God, God's way. This is where The wrestle begins. Amen. Amen. And you have to start practicing the word of righteousness in dealing with these things. Put off from yourself immorality, impurity, evil thoughts and practices, greed. Why does he tell us to put it off? Because we all got it. Oh, what are we going to do with it? Well, I don't deal with that immorality stuff anymore. How about greed? Well, I'm not greedy. Well, you always want to have your way instead of God's way. That's greedy. Hello. These are things we have to work on. Wrestle with these things. Pulling down strongholds. Casting out, casting off imaginations. We have to deal with this stuff, don't we? Yes. This is where the training begins. It's the smaller engagement fights. You might you might hear the Word of God talks about not holding a grudge. I remember when I heard about Judge Not, dear God, I was like number one judge. I had the blue ribbon. Ju- I was the blue ribbon judge, you know. And I had to deal with that over and over. Judge not lest you be judged. Judge. And I had to realize I don't want to be judged. So I had to deal with myself. Judge not lest you be judged. Judge not lest you be judged. Say it over and over and over. Did you get tired of saying it? Yeah. So what did you do? I said it some more. And then I got tired of saying it and I said it some more. Well, how long did you say it? Until I stopped judging. And then if I found myself slipping back into judging, I'd start saying it again declaring it, the pen of the ready writer, writing it on my heart. Amen. So I might start hearing things in the word about not holding a grudge, having to get my own way, do things the way I want to do it. I hear things about don't be covetous, don't be envious, don't be judgmental. I'm supposed to speak a kind word. They don't deserve a kind word. How about this one? Your spouse is a joint heir, and you ought to treat him as one. (laughs) Just so you know this, it's not only women that are a spouse. Men are a spouse also. Joint heirs together. And then you might go on to larger battles, like treating other people. Or preferring other people over your own self. Well, this is what I really want, but I'll prefer what you want. Whatever you want. And I'll put me on the side. Mmm. That's a tough one, isn't it? See, that's a bigger battle. How about standing on the Word for your healing, regardless of how you feel? And making decisions based on the Word rather than what your body and your emotions are telling you. I remember back in 1981, saved only a couple of months. And I went to this, uh, I used to go to this Catholic charismatic prayer group. And at the end of the prayer group, people would always want to hug. You know, that's all that brother-sister stuff, you know, oh, we all hugging. So there was this one elderly woman, well, elderly, she's probably younger than I am now, but older than I was then. So after the the meeting, I went to to hug her like everybody was hugging. She's like, oh, don't hug me. I don't want to give you my cold. I said, don't worry about it. You can't give me what I won't take. And I hugged her. See, now there's a revelation for somebody. See, in the same way, nobody can make you angry. You choose to get angry. Oh, no, they really ticked me off. No, you chose to get angry because you can choose to be kind You can put off the anger and put on kindness. It's choices. Now, until you get into the truth of the Word of God, you don't realize this, and you think it's your emotions that are telling you. My emotions are telling I feel it on the inside. I'm supposed to get angry. Well, no kidding. That doesn't mean that it's of God. It's out from your emotions. Well, my emotions are telling me that I need to just Get back at them because of what they did. Otherwise, they're going to do it to other people. You heard that one before, right? we got to stop them or they'll do it to other people. Yeah. Like that's your job. And all that does is eat you up. Huh? Amen. Amen. Believe in healing regardless of how you feel. Regardless of what you see. I walk, you know, at the same time, we'll declare, I walk by faith and not by sight. Oh, but I feel like trash. Look at what, look at, oh, I looked in the mirror. I don't look good at all. I need to stay home. But then we'll say, I walk by faith and not by sight. Word of God. Can you see the hypocrisy? Can you see that? And it doesn't mean that you purposely are a hypocrite. It means you've got one thing in your spirit, another thing in your soul, but what's in your spirit is in bondage because it can't get out because your soul's messed up. How about following what the Holy Spirit says about sowing seed beyond your own comprehension? Well, that don't make sense. Why would I do that? I mean, you God, I mean, that's about everything I got. I mean, whatever it might be, you know, I'm saving that money for a specific... Why would God... Have me to do that. That don't make any sense. You don't comprehend it. And if you need your comprehension to obey God, then God's not God. You are. Right? Standing for your needs to be met without going to outside sources. Now, understand, it doesn't mean that you can't go to outside sources. What I'm saying is you're standing for your needs to be met and the Holy Spirit may direct you to go to outside sources. But you need to know the difference between if the Holy Spirit's directing you or if in your emotions you're fearful that this isn't going to work and I need to go do something. I believe God's leading me to do this. It's your emotions because you're all upset and you're afraid that things aren't going to work out. Major difference. But you'll never know it if you don't practice. Larger battles. Only follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to reach your goals. That's a large battle. Because there's so many voices in the land. And a lot of them are right on the inside of you. When the deadline comes into view or natural hope runs out, what are you going to do? What do you do? I said it a long time ago. If natural hope runs out and it doesn't seem like there's no answer, well, if God's not the answer, then I might as well just go see him. That's all. When I get there, I could say, what happened? And he'll tell me. Yeah. I go, like, oh, okay. I see now. See, that's when we step up with the training of the Word of God that was habitually developed in us. Because we were discipled and disciplined through the wrestling with the smaller engagement fights. So now we're at the big deal. The deadline. The deadline's looming. The natural hope has run out. We're in the big deal now. We're in the big ring. What am I going to do? What have you been practicing? Yeah. If you haven't been practicing, because everybody's going to come to the big deal. And how you get through it will be determined, be determined by what you've practiced. To stand our ground and fight, we must live lives that leaves no open door to the enemy. The more our lives line up with the word of God, the more we shut the door on the enemy. And you have to understand the difference between access and attacks. You know, Pastor Morgan says something and it just totally ticks me off. And on the inside, I could feel it just rising up. Was that an attack? No, it's access. Because it's already in me. All he did was trigger it. It's already in me. Say, that's access. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Amen. Yes, please. (laughs) Be nice. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to understand the difference between access and attacks. There's pressures and there's promises. Are we going to increase in pressures? Are we going to increase in promises? Don't answer me because I know you'll have one answer in here and you'll have another answer out there. You need to settle it on the inside before you even get out there. What's going to increase, the pressures or the promises? The battles we deal with, whether they're large or small, is going to take actions, is going to take obedience, is going to take a will that does not quit. It's going to take strength that stands to the finish. And a will that will not quit. We're not talking about self-will. We're talking about a fruit of the Spirit called endurance. A quality of character. It's a character trait that will not quit under pressure. And that's only from the Spirit of God. It's the practice that trains our senses to discern spiritual things. All right. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained. The word senses is not biological senses. It's not the the senses of feeling, uh, of touch, sight, sound, smell, taste. It's not those senses. It's a spiritual sensitivity trained to discern. Amen. The Bible says things like who's wise? Who is it that is wise? Mm -hmm. Who is it that has the wisdom of Christ? We have the mind of Christ. I hope we're using it. One being trained by constant practice. Constant practice gets your senses trained. Constant practice. Amen. The more we discern, the more we only allow right things to cross the bridge into our life to develop us. The more we discern, the more we will only allow the right things to come out from us to create for us. What comes into you will develop you, good or bad, right or wrong. But what comes out of you will create for you good or bad, right or wrong. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. A man's harvest in life is based solely and only on what he sows. Out of his heart, out of his mouth. Isn't that right? Discerning good, wholesome doctrine versus evil, corrupt doctrine. Okay? And again, you know, Corrupt doctrine would be, it's okay to murder somebody. Well, that's not what we're talking about. The assumption is we're beyond purposeful sin. And that was always the assumption in the Bible. You're beyond that. But what it's about, discerning good and evil, is about doing right in a circumstance. Now, we all face many, many choices, don't we? Well, is the choice you're making right? Well, I won't know until I get down the road. Why? You're behind behind the eight ball. You're now living by your senses biologically. Now, I understand that we make the best choices that we can, but we should learn from the choices. We get down the road and go, hmm, that seemed right, but it wound up in ruin. That did not create good in my life down the road here. So I learned from that because now I'm starting to discern what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, what works, what don't work, what's God and what isn't God. So I can look back at those things, but it's designed to learn from. Well, I was kind to them, but now they bit me in the back and this was not good, so I'm not going to be kind to anybody anymore. No, that's not the decision. That's right. That's right. The decision is, should I or shouldn't I based on what the Spirit of God says to me at that particular moment. That's right. You know, not every opportunity to be kind needs to be taken. Mm-hmm. Because somebody will just take you. Yeah. Yeah. They'll take your kindness and kick it down the street. They'll use it because you're being kind to them, and they'll use it. But is that what you were supposed to do by the Spirit of God? Well, that's just what I like to do. We don't care what you like to do. What you like to do is not your answer, nor your direction, nor will it bring you down the right path. Of course, you can like to do good things out of your flesh, you know. Why? Because flesh wants to be noticed. Flesh wants to be looked at. Flesh wants to get accolades. So flesh will let you do what's good as long as it gets all of the notice for it. Are you with me? See, we're talking about stuff that affects our life here. It's things that are good and evil as a quality or character. Is that of a good character or an evil character? Is it evil because it could turn out to be harmful? It could turn out to be damaging? Is it evil because it creates something that's difficult, harsh, and now it's created pressures in my life? I thought it was the right thing to do, but now I got all this pressure. Uh, I'm doing this because I just love to do it, but dear God, look at all the pressure. Yeah, but I'm not going to stop doing it because this is what I like to do. And you won't give it up and you won't stop it and you're willing to live under the pressure because it's what you want. And yet it's probably the thing that's killing you and creating all your pressure. You know, when I got saved, I used to own guns. I had a hot rod Camaro. I had a bunch of music equipment and I was a druggie and everything else, and I used everything I had in the wrong way. And when I got saved, I got rid of all my guns, I got rid of my hot rods, I got rid of all my music stuff, gave it all away. I loved all that stuff. I lived for all that stuff. But it created too much pressure to where I couldn't live for God the way I wanted to. And I got rid of it all. And then as I grew and I developed and matured, it all came back in the right way. It's called going through the eye of the needle, that small little gate in the city. you got to unload your camel and everything else to get through that little gate. In fact, you might have to leave the camel and everything outside the gate so you can get in and save your life. But when you get on the other side, you get loaded up, but you don't trust God enough. You're the one that wants to take care of everything. And God can't do anything for you. And all you do is live under pressure. Pressures come to rob the actual promises. You think that thing you love is your promise? It's your pressure. There is a promise on the other side from God, but you can't get there because you won't let go of the pressure. Get your hand out of the cage, monkey. Exegetical commentary says this is how we become and how we stay mature. This is how we become and stay mature. The Enduring Word commentary says the ability to discern is a critical measure of spiritual maturity. Critical. Babies will put anything in their mouth. Babies will take anything. They'll put anything in their mouth and they'll take, put anything out from their mouth. Spiritual babies are weak in discernment. They're weak in discerning what goes across their bridge, either direction, in or out. Spiritual thoughts, spiritual words, things taught by the Holy Spirit, things that are of the unchanging and word of God. What is it going to be? but we have to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us in the wisdom of Jesus that comes by the Word of God. Do we have eyes to see? Do we have ears to hear? Or is our heart dull? Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 7. 2 Timothy 1.7. But God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. The word timidity, it means fearful and cowardice. Fearful and cowardice. This is a very crucial verse as the Apostle Paul is writing this to Timothy. Fear can get a grip on our mind and produce cowardice in us, in us. You know, have you ever noticed that a lot of times you get around people and they're like, I'll tell you what, this is what I would say. i tell you, I, I wouldn't put up with that for a moment. But then they get in the face of the situation, they're like, nothing to say. Yeah. Why? Bold when you don't have to deal with the situation. Yeah. But what's happened? happened. Something's happened. So either you yielded to your flesh in criticizing the situation and then by the time you got there, you realized I need to walk by the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> or you were just blowing off from the inside because of the way you really feel about it, but when you got in the situation, you're not going to say anything about it. Fear. Fear produced cowardice. And if you let it go unchecked, it starts on the inside. But if you let it go unchecked, You start to become afraid of everything. You start to become afraid of everybody. And it gives access to control, for fear to control our life. Amen. There was an informal survey that was taken in churches of what people fear. Some of the things they feared was divorce, cancer, AIDS, suicide, insanity, fear of heights, Fear of being murdered, robbed, being attacked, fear of financial failure, fear of demons. This is the church who has authority over all this stuff. But then the survey went further and found out from leadership what leadership was afraid of. And leadership feared rejection, failure, financial lack, betrayal being left behind by their peers. They even feared success because they didn't know if they could handle it. And fear is a pressure that wants to rob you of a disciplined, sound mind. Fear is a thief. It comes to rob you. It's obviously from the devil. It is imperative to have a sound mind if we're going to stand strong in the pressure battles in life especially when you're dealing with an enemy you can't see yeah. you can't touch and you have to stand god is looking for resolute committed believers who know their place of victory in christ and these are the people that will challenge the devil They'll storm the gates of hell. They'll remain faithful until the job is complete. Spiritual warriors who step forward, who enlist in his army, and fearlessly look the enemy in the eye and do battle. Too many Christians want to look at people in the eye and do battle when you've got to look in the eye of the one you can't see. And that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. In all of these things, we know that risk are absolutely certain. But they far outweigh the great reward and understand the far-reaching consequences of choosing not to fight. Well, that's just the way it is. I don't don't really worry about it. You've chosen not to fight it. And there are far, far far-reaching consequences to choosing not to fight. You don't fight your emotion. You don't fight your thoughts. You don't fight just doing things your own way. And it's the door to pressure. Amen. When the Apostle Paul wrote to to, uh, Timothy, his first letter to Timothy, everything was going great. Timothy was the pastor of the church of Ephesus, had about 50,000 people in it and things were just going well the church was growing it was flourishing but between first timothy and second timothy there's, there's about 3 years between both letters and by the time second timothy is written the church of ephesus is in big trouble and now he tells timothy not to have a spirit of fear circumstances have changed immensely in the church of ephesus because circumstances have changed immensely In the church because circumstances have changed immensely in the world this is after Nero decided to burn Rome remember when he burned Rome and the council actually called Nero on the carpet about the burning of Rome and Nero said wasn't me them Republicans I mean those Christians and Nero blamed it on the Christians and said Paul was the leader of the Christians it's just like the same old garbage you hear today. Oh, that word of faith stuff is a bunch of nonsense. And you know that Copeland, he's the head of all of that stuff. Oh, come on. Same old, same old. So he blamed the Christians. So now Timothy is fearful and he's worried. Of course, guess what? This is not just the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Judaizers that are coming after Christians. Now this is the government. And the government carries a lot more power coming after the Christians. So now Timothy is confronting scandals. He's confronting defection. He's confronting lies and betrayal and all kinds of persecution that's coming against him. The congregation is now shrinking. People are running back into paganism just to save their own life. And Timothy has anxiety over the church that's shrinking and shrinking. And also the fact that he could be next in being martyred. And yet the Apostle Paul is writing to him, and the Apostle Paul is facing worse things than Timothy's facing. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy and saying, don't have a spirit of fear, but have a sound mind, love, and power. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. There's a lot to say about the early church persecution, the pressures they had to deal with from the government, and martyrdom that was facing them all the time and was instilling fear inside of each and every one of them. Mm -hmm. So do we say things like, yeah, but you don't understand my circumstances. (laughs) How many of us have said that? Come on, raise your hand. Come Come on, be honest. I've said it myself. But yet none of us has faced what the early church faced. But yet the instruction is the same. Fear not. There's no difference. It hasn't changed. In in early days, the pagans would actually look at the joy of the Christians in the middle of facing martyrdom. They would watch the Christian endure. They would watch the Christian stand for Jesus and not give up. They would watch the joy that was on the Christians, even when they were putting them up, crucifying them or tying them up on crosses and they would dip them in oil and use them as lights to to, to light the road at night. And they were all singing. See, and we're like, oh, that was just so bad. They were singing psalms. They were so caught up in the joy of the Lord. They were beyond suffering. The reason we're not is because we're so carnal. We're thinking about the fire. We're thinking about the, 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 we're thinking about the martyr. We're thinking about the persecution. They're thinking about the joy. They're thinking about their Lord. They're thinking about their position in Christ. They weren't carnal. That's how they stood the pressures. Amen. So if the pagans were watching them... Who's watching you? And what are you showing? The moment you said, I believe something, you stepped on the stage and who's watching you? What kind of performance are you giving? And is your performance causing somebody to turn to Jesus? Or do you try to ram it down their throat because you have nothing to show them? Shout me down. You know, Bonner did a lot of of statistics. And Bonner's statistics have shown that Christians and the world have been shocked through the years as high-profile believers who were white-hot for the Lord compromised their faith and walked in agreement with the world around them. Because many Christians are caught up in a convenient-based mindset. This is the why most Christians have trouble living for God. Give up what? What do you mean? Give up? What do you what? Do you, what do you mean? I I I I can't do. What do you mean? I have, n- no. Why? Because we're convenient based. Whatever's convenient. And what happens when you're con- when you're convenient based? You shun dedication. You shun hard work. You shun the things of God and take on diluted versions of the Bible that has shallow surface knowledge of the Word of God that just helps to justify our own position. Amen. Every day, every day there's a battle going on. The battle is intensifying every day for souls and the battle is also intensifying every day for sound doctrine. Why? Because Jesus didn't tell you, go get the world saved. He said, go preach the gospel, they get saved, and then make disciples. And without sound doctrine, there's no discipleship. There's goofballs, sugar-coated gospels. Are you with me? Every day, souls and sound doctrine, that's what the battle's about. Warfare and confrontation is continually forced upon us and we must fight back. Yes. Amen. And how does it fight back? Forget about that. Yeah. Forget about that stupid stuff. Forget about that. Right here. Right here is where you fight. You know, people say things like, well, I don't know how to serve God. How about getting your thinking in order? Yep. How about start thinking like the word of God? That's a way to serve God. You start thinking like God thinks. How about getting your emotions under control? That's serving God. Getting your will strong to stand in the things of God. That's serving God. Of course, until you get that in order, nothing out here is going to be in order. I remember, years ago, my daughter being a teenager, and um, of course she had her own bedroom in the house, and she always liked to look good. She always dressed nice, as good, clean, everything, always looking nice, but dear God, don't go in her room. Oh my goodness, oh jeez. I would walk in her room and go, oh, I can't believe this. It's the way a lot of people live. Out here it looks like good, in here's a bunch of crap. It's a mess, sloppy, no discipline, nothing's in order, whether it be in the thinking, in the emotions, in the will, wherever it might be. But out here, we're looking good. Huh? See, you fight back in here. The devil has taken lots of ground because he's taken a lot of individuals. And the only way you fight back is by not being one of those individuals and get yourself in order. Satan knows that if he can't get God's people to succumb to a spirit of fear, a torrent of God's power will be released. Think about the great pressure that was on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow yeah. or be thrown in the fiery furnace. Mm-hmm. Great pressure. I mean, we read it, and we're like, but think about being there. Yeah. You yeah. Think, about be- think about being there. Now, think about the things you can't stand against, and you think you're going to stand against that fiery furnace. Mm-hmm. So there they are in that fiery furnace. Great, tremendous pressure, and the king is getting mad. The king's saying, get it hotter, make it hotter, you know, like you know, more hot is going to be worse than not so hot. Hot's hot, you know, you're going to burn. So, but he's trying, but, you know, the king realizes, you know, these guys are not bowing, so I'm going to try to scare them. Well, there's nothing worked. So they throw him into the fiery furnace, and he looks through the porthole. How, how sick of a king is this that he's got to have a porthole into that furnace because he wants to see them burn it? And he looks into the porthole and goes, didn't we throw three guys in there? And they're like, certainly, oh, king. Yes, it was. It was three guys. He goes, then why do I see four of them? And the fourth is like the son of God. And the king still being the king. Come out from there, old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or, okay, we'll come out. <laughs> you know? Well, what happened? The whole nation turned around. Nebuchadnezzar says, You will we will serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Pressure. There was pressure, but they didn't succumb to the pressure. Therefore, God's power was released. You know why most Christians don't see God's power work in their life? Because they stay within themselves. They stay within themselves, their thinking, their answers, their emotions, and their way of doing things. Living with what they want, with what they like, even what they want to do. But yet God's power is just waiting to move. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but power, love, and discipline, or sound mind, as the King James said. A sound mind is a disciplined mind. You can't have a sound mind if you don't have a disciplined mind. And the disciplined mind is the one that stays on the Word of God. That soundness of mind is part of your salvation. The word sozo is also defined as soundness. So it's part of your salvation, a delivered mind. Hallelujah. (laughs) I'm so glad when I got a delivered mind. Amen. Amen. That means your intelligence gets delivered. You know, just because you're smart doesn't make you delivered. Your intelligence needs to be delivered. Isn't that right? Amen. You know, it says that Jesus took on the form of man so that through death he could deliver those that were in bondage to fear and death. Isn't that right? They were subject to bond. Fear keeps you in bondage. And I don't mean, you know, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. How many times have you seen where, well, you remember that time that the disciples are on the boat and they're in the water, and Jesus comes walking to them and they're afraid? Yeah. You know, well, have you ever gone in a room and uh, all of a sudden you think there's somebody moving that room and you go, Anybody ever do that? Well, that's what they did. It doesn't mean they were falling down in fear and just crying like, you know, like uh, Chucky was after them. (laughs) Because a lot of times we hear this, you know, about fear in the Bible. and We think, you know, that they're actually in such. No, it's it's on the inside. It's just like, oh, oh." see, because just that. See, that's fear. And then you realize, oh, there's nobody there. It's okay. The disciples are in the inner room because they were afraid of the Pharisees and the Sadducees after Jesus was crucified. And they're in that inner room and Jesus shows up and they're like, Whoop. and what is the first thing Jesus says? Fear not. Fear not. Peace be with you. <laughs> See, because that little, uh, that's fear. Well, you let that little uh, control you, it'll control your life. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that live by that. And I hope they don't put that snowman up down there this year. Because every time they put that thing up and I walk in the dark and that thing goes, I want to punch it in the face. Because it takes you by surprise tomorrow night. Because you know I don't know what's up there and then I walk in the dark and this thing starts moving. Thank God before I hit it, I realize it's the snowman. So a disciplined mind is very simply a calm, self-controlled mind in contrast to the panic or confusion that rushes in. And that's what happens when it's like, whoa, see, confusion has rushed in. Something's happened there. The uh, complete biblical library in the Greek says that you're not shaken by intimidation of people or circumstances. Not shaken. None of this on the inside. Oh, I'm going to hit you. I am going to hit you. I tell you, you know, none of that going on. Relying on God's power, love, and grace. Okay? And that's what it's all about to deal with the pressures. One last verse, verse 8. We'll close here. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Timothy was being ashamed because of fear. Yeah. He was identifying with Paul, and he knew that that could be dangerous. Because if Paul was the head of the Christians, and Nero and the government was out to kill the Christians because they burned Rome down, then Timothy knew this could be dangerous, that he could be on Nero's hit list. The bottom line is hardships... Troubles and trials do come to believers. But if we stand against... Well, not just stand against... But if we stand true against pressures, we stand true, true on the Word of God against the pressures, there is a special working of God's power. Because He says, Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to, Kata, controlled, conquered, and dominated, by the power of God you want the power of God to be controlling dominating and conquering in your life against the things you stand against then like he says join with me and the suffering he's talking about is not suffering persecution of martyrdom but we'll we'll get into that some place down the road here but there is a suffering that we're all called to just like Jesus and we're not talking about the cross talking about life. Amen. That is exactly what worked in the lives of the martyrs, that they suffered for the gospel and the power of God was on them. But that'll never happen if all you do is look at the circumstances. Amen. Hallelujah. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we bless you. We honor you, Father. We give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. You alone are worthy, Lord Jesus. You are the glorious King. You're the mighty God, the everlasting One. We thank You for Your goodness, Your kindness, and Your grace. Thank You, Lord, that You're more than enough, more than enough, more than enough in all of these things. Now, the Holy Spirit, I shared the Word as You have directed me to do. So I'm looking to You now, Holy Spirit, that You confirm this Word, that You will start to show us in life where pressures are where we have pressures going on that we've gotten so used to living under these pressures. Lord, that you show us that it's pressure that we need not be under it. And then show us the way out of it and the way of deliverance. For there is always a way of escape and you know the way. So as we give ourselves to you and we admit, yes, this is pressure that we don't need in our life, then we can look to you for the way of escape that I can be free from that pressure and walk into the promises that you have laid out. I thank you for that, Father. Now just receive that. Receive that in the name of Jesus. Just receive that. That He will reveal it to you. He will show it to you and then He will direct you in it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we praise you and thank you, Father. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and your anointing and that which makes these things alive in us, that we don't just hear it, that we don't just mentally know it, but we have it applied into our life and we can live it and living in this truth makes us free. Father, I thank you that as we come before you with our giving this morning, whether it be our tithes, our offerings, our seed sowing, first fruit offerings, whatever it might be, that you've attached promise to it and that we can stand on, declare and take that promise and write it in our heart with our tongue. And Father, I thank you that as we write it in our heart and it becomes a part of us, it comes out in power and it comes out in creativity to bring back into our life, Father, according to that which we sow. So it's not just something that we're sowing, but it is your word that we're speaking over that which we're doing. And your word be in our direction, your word be in our instruction, and your word being the power of God that gets released into this act of giving. We thank you for it, bless you, and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah. If you need an envelope,